Hello, it's a privilege to be able to share with you again this weekend as we continue to explore uh, Jesus' teaching about what it looks like to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. To say that 2020 has been a, a year like no other is a drastic understatement. You know, I've kind of looked back on my life experiences and I really have truly never been through anything even remotely like what we've gone through these last four months and no one else has. You know, just think about the lockdown. You know, around here, uh, we might get a snowstorm that'll close schools and some businesses for like a day or two. I remember living in Maryland in 1997, there was a blizzard that closed down schools for two whole weeks. Uh, but to put that in perspective, if that blizzard took place here, schools may have been closed for like two days. But in Maryland, it was a two-week closure. And I recall as a kid living in Phoenix, uh, schools were closed one day because the, the smog level of the climate uh, was at a dangerous uh, level. So we had to stay home one day. But the, the combination of a, of a global pandemic, businesses closing down, millions of people losing their jobs, and civil unrest has never been seen before in our lifetimes. And for me, this has led to a lot of intense soul searching. And I imagine I'm not alone in this. I imagine you've been doing this as well. And through this soul searching, I have found myself confronted with a question that I have been wrestling with for weeks now. Have I responded to all these things going on around me and in the world going on right now? Have I responded in a Christ-like, God-honoring way? Has the new life I have in Christ been visible to others through all this? Has, has my faith influenced and inspired others? Or have I let fear, anger, and ignorance cast a shadow on God in the sight of other people? As we reflect on the events of 2020 and, and look ahead to what may come down the road, we must honestly and openly wrestle with this question. And we can only wrestle with this question one day at a time, one step at a time, but how are we as Christ followers to respond to the circumstances we face? Thankfully, as we, as we learned and discovered last week, Jesus offers us a pretty clear answer to this question. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes for us in, in really clear detail what it looks like to live as a Christ follower in the midst of anything that could ever go on. When Jesus began his public ministry, the first thing he taught was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17 and verse 23 record this. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he, he goes on to teach exactly what it looks like for a Christ follower to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not in the future, not when we depart this life, but here and now on earth. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus declared, is at hand. The Beatitudes that we explored last week and we're going to dig into again this week are Jesus' introduction to his Sermon on the Mount. And in these, he offers a clear picture, kind of an overview picture of what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. It's important to note, though, that Jesus isn't describing eight, dis eight distinct groups of Christians. 
He's not saying that there's a group who are poor in spirit and there's a group who are peacemakers and there's a group who are meek and then there's a group who are merciful. No, what Jesus is describing are are eight characteristics that can and should be present in the life of each Christ follower. And when we live this life, we can know beyond any doubt how to respond and live in a God-honoring, Christ-like way to anything that happens in life. So we're going to dig into the Beatitudes again from Matthew 5, verses 2 through 12. But I want to invite you to, to join me in prayer before we get into God's word today. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the timeless relevance of your holy scripture. That what we're reading today, what we're going to dig into today was shared by our Lord and Savior 2,000 years ago and is just as relevant and important and significant today in 2020 as it was when it was first shared. And Holy Spirit, we, we surrender ourselves to your guidance and your leading and ask that you open up our hearts, our minds, and our eyes and our ears to re- receive the truth of your word. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Listen to Jesus' teaching from Matthew 5, 2 through 12. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last week we explored the meaning and significance of the first half of each of these statements from Jesus' Beatitudes And this week, we're going to explore the second half of each statement and what it means for us today. The second half are the the blessings that come from living life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven here now on earth. So let's go through these one by one. Jesus begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember from last week, to be poor in spirit is to recognize our desperate need for God and our, our spiritual uh, depravity for we, when we are apart from him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And Jesus says to those who are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs. Those who are poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of heaven. The contrast between being poor in spirit and having the kingdom of heaven shows the immense blessing that the poor in spirit receive. How often do we seek to build our own little kingdoms, though? Our own little kingdoms in which we are the center and and, and we pursue what the world describes as wealth, money, possessions, influence, and attention. The pursuit of these things above God is the opposite of being poor in spirit. That's what it means to be rich in spirit. To be rich in spirit means that we think that on our own, we've got it. We know better than God and we can go our own way without Him. Instead, though, Jesus teaches that true blessing is in embracing our spiritual poverty 
which then puts us in a position to, to receive and accept our divine inheritance, that is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to be rich beyond measure. And we start to see in this very first statement the, the values of the kingdom of heaven differing from the values of the world. Jesus goes on. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here Jesus is saying that those who mourn over the sin and evil that exists within themselves and mourn over the sin and evil that exists in others around them, in the world around them, will be comforted. I don't know about you, but I really need some comfort right now. I really need some comfort. I truly mourn over the impact that sin is having on our world right now. And if I'm being honest, I'm mourning over some unrepentant sin that, I, that God has revealed still exists in my heart. I need some comfort right now. But how often do we seek comfort for, from our own sins by seeking those who will assure us that our sins are justified? How often do we seek comfort from those who are just going to affirm what we're doing is okay, even though deep down we know it's not? Or how often do we seek comfort from the sins of the world around us by turning a blind eye and thinking, out of sight, out of mind. It's not happening in my home or my backyard, so I don't have to worry about it. That's false comfort. Instead, Jesus teaches that true, lasting comfort comes only from seeking him. And when we seek him with a repentant heart, we will experience freedom from sin and evil in our own lives, and we will be empowered to face sin and evil that exists in the world. What a blessing it is to receive that kind of comfort. Jesus goes on. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Recall from last week that another word for meek is gentle. To be meek is not the same as being weak. I need to repeat that for myself as much as for anybody else. Jesus was described as meek, and so was Moses, and neither man could ever be described as weak. To be meek is, is to be gentle towards God, to be gentle towards ourselves, and be, to be gentle towards others. And it's these people who are meek that will inherit the earth. To be poor in spirit means we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. To be meek means we will inherit the earth. What an inheritance that we have. But again, this is a prime example of the, the values of the kingdom of heaven diverging from the values of the world. The world teaches that when you want something, you need to take it. You need to go after it with tenacity and don't let anyone stand in your way. And the world teaches that those who are meek will miss out and be trampled on. Not so in the kingdom of heaven. How often do we go through life with an attitude of take, 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 give me, give me, give me. Instead, Jesus teaches that the most valuable thing we could ever attain is our spiritual inheritance. And attaining it doesn't come through might, but through gentle meekness. Jesus goes on. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know about you, but one of the most satisfying experiences for me is to eat a delicious meal when I'm really hungry or to drink an ice-cold beverage when I'm really thirsty. That is so satisfying. And this is the imagery that Jesus stirs up for us with this beatitude. But Jesus isn't talking about physical hunger or thirst. 
Instead, he's talking about the spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst for righteousness or, or rightness with God that we are all desperately trying to sate. There is only one source of satisfaction for the spiritual hunger and thirst that we all have that exists within every single person. And that source of comfort is Jesus more and more. Jesus more and more. But how often do we go through life in pursuit of all sorts of of people and things instead of God? How often do we go through life feeling dissatisfied or discontent and saying, oh, if I just had that, then that would would complete me. That would would fill the missing hole in my life. And then we acquire that and we're like, ah, that's still not enough. So if I just had that or if I just had that relationship or if I just had that promotion or if I just made that much money or if I just bought that house or that car or whatever it is, that would satisfy what's missing within us. We'll never be satisfied in those pursuits. Instead, Jesus teaches that true, lasting satisfaction and contentment only comes when we seek the kingdom of God and continue seeking it day after day. This is why Jesus taught that that those that eat of his flesh and drink of his blood will never be hungry or thirsty because Jesus is the source of true, lasting satisfaction. And the more of Jesus we consume, here's the beautiful part, the more of Jesus we consume, the more we need, the more we want, but the good news is that there is always enough of Jesus to satisfy us. Jesus goes on. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here, Jesus reminds us that God has been so patient, so kind, and so merciful towards us. And this mercy we have received, it should influence how we treat others and how we respond to what's going on around us. This is one statement, though, that we have to be particularly careful in how we interpret it. Jesus is not saying that that we can earn God's mercy by being merciful to others, just like we can't earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others others. Instead, what Jesus is teaching here is that extending mercy to others and forgiving others is the byproduct of receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. Let's picture it like this. Grace from God is unmerited mercy and forgiveness. Grace is, is, is mercy and forgiveness that we could never earn or deserve But God doesn't expect us to or wait for us to do that. He just pours it out, pours out his grace, pours out his grace upon us. Now, we can either receive that grace like a bucket or we can receive it like a pipe. To receive that grace like a bucket is is to say, God, yes, keep pouring that grace. Fill me up, God. Fill me up. Fill this up. All right, good. I've got enough. I've got enough just for me. And we hold on to that. To receive it like a bucket is to to hoard God's grace for ourselves. But that grace sitting in that bucket will eventually become stagnant and unusable. Instead, we we can receive grace like a pipe in in which God just pours out his grace upon us and we say, God, yes, give me your grace. And then that grace flows through us and onto others. And and God's just gonna pour more grace and more can flow and more can flow. How often do we go through life, though, like a bucket, hoarding God's mercy, thinking we just don't have enough to share with others, or or 
thinking others don't deserve it. Instead, Jesus teaches this amazing reciprocity that exists in the kingdom of heaven. God pours out his mercy on us so that we can bless others with that mercy and God continues to pour more so we can extend more and on and on and on it goes. God has enough grace for everyone. We will never run dry of his grace as long as we keep seeking it and sharing it with others. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy in abundance. Jesus goes on. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and made new by the power of his resurrection. And this purity in heart is not a one-time occurrence, but it's a continual journey of transformation and renewal. A continual journey. And Jesus says that the blessing of those who are on this journey of transformation is that they shall see God. I just can't, can't wrap my mind around what it will be like the one day I get to see God. It's, it's just our human minds can't comprehend what that's going to be like. But that's the gift that awaits us. But this concept of seeing God, I believe, has a dual meaning. First and foremost, those who are pure in heart, transformed by Jesus, will see God when we depart this life and we fully enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then we stand in God's presence and we see his face in all its glory and splendor. The other aspect, I believe, is that, that this purity in heart changes the way we see others. It changes the way we see others. When we allow God to transform our hearts, it's like, it's like scales fall off our eyes and we are able to see people differently. And the reality that God created all people in his image becomes more apparent to us. How often do we go through life looking at others and only seeing the things that separate them from us or make them different than us? Or we only, we only catch on to the things that they disagree from us on? How often do we just look at others and judge them based on how they look? That's not, that's not seeing the world with a pure heart. Instead, Jesus teaches that our transformed, pure hearts will allow us to see a glimpse of God in the faces of every single human being. And then, one day, we will stand in the presence of God fully and see his true face in all its glory and in all its splendor. He goes on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus' teaching here and, and throughout the, the Gospels, along with the apostles' teachings throughout the rest of the New Testament, makes it quite clear that Christ's followers are to be peacemakers within the church and within our communities. God is a peacemaker. Jesus is a peacemaker. We have been created, saved, renewed, transformed by peacemakers. John Stott, the great theologian and writer, he describes it like this. He says, It is hardly surprising, therefore, that the particular blessing which attaches to peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God. For they are seeking to do what their father has done, loving people with his love. It is the devil who is a troublemaker. It is God who loves reconciliation and who now, through his children, as formerly through his only begotten son, is bent on making peace. God is bent on making peace and he is bent on using us 
to be peacemakers. And it's the peacemakers who shall be called sons and daughters of God. What an immeasurable blessing it is to be called a child of God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine God saying, hello, my child? Ah, it's going to be so good. How often do we, though, instead fall in step with the world? How often do we fall in step with the world and do nothing more than throw fuel on the fires of strife and conflict? Instead, Jesus teaches that we should strive to make peace and sow unity. And in doing so, we get to experience the amazing gift of walking in the footsteps of our Heavenly Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing that will be. Jesus goes on, he finally says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on my account, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and their reward is great in heaven. Remember, living life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is countercultural to living life as a citizen of this world. There will be people who disagree with us, people who oppose us, people who just downright want to try to hold us down and derail us. We will experience persecution in some way, shape, or form as Christ followers. That is an inevitable reality. But we, when we experience persecution, Jesus teaches us that we should rejoice. We should rejoice when we're persecuted or when people insult us for our faith. But why? That doesn't make any sense. I don't want to be persecuted. Why would I rejoice over it? Like the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on Jesus' account. And the reward waiting for us in heaven is greater than anything we could ever hope for or imagine. So, even if we were to lose everything we have here on earth, if we were to have our homes taken away, our churches taken away, if we were to have our jobs uh, terminated, if we were to be arrested and lose our freedom, anything that we would lose is nothing compared to what we have gained through Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we should rejoice in our persecution that comes from following God because it is an affirmation of the authenticity of our faith because we are being persecuted like the prophets before Jesus were and we're being persecuted like Jesus was. We're suffering in the same way our Lord and Savior suffered. There's blessing in that. That's worth rejoicing over. But how often do we go through life sulking and feeling sorry for ourselves when things don't go our way or we don't get what we want or someone mistreats us? Instead, Jesus reminds us that the worst we face on earth is nothing compared to the riches that await us in the glory and splendor of heaven. To find that balance between being a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and a citizen in, in the world we need to keep our eyes on the here and now and walk in step with Jesus, but also keep our eyes on what awaits us, what awaits us in the splendor and glory of heaven. Now, those are Jesus' beatitudes. Listen to what he says after he shares these eight statements. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it, give, it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Beatitudes are Jesus' description of the kingdom life. He goes on to tell us that living this life is how we are able to be the salt of the earth in which our life and, and how we respond to what's going around us can enrich people's lives and draw them towards Jesus. And this kingdom life is how we can be the light of the world. God's light shines brightest where there's darkness. And God's light, he wants his light to shine through us in the way we respond and live. He wants us to shine in such a way that it illuminates the path for others to follow that leads to him. And so what now? What's the next step you can take? Well, the first step anyone needs to take is to accept Jesus Christ. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time. I don't know what you need to wait for. You don't need to wait for anything. You don't need to wait to, to make changes or make adjustments. You don't need to wait to stop doing something or start doing something. You just need to simply say yes to Jesus. You just need to say yes to Jesus. You don't need to wait for anything. Next. For those of us who are already following Christ, we need to embrace the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is here now on earth. And we serve King Jesus and we bear his banner right here, right now on earth as it is in heaven. And the world desperately needs King Jesus. And the world is in desperate need for Christ's followers to live the kingdom life in which we are the salt and the light. Everything Jesus teaches here should transform our attitudes and it should inspire our actions and responses. This is the blessed life of a citizen of heaven and it can begin, we can begin to experience here and now on earth as it is in heaven. The word beatitudes, it comes from the Greek word beatus. The Greek word beatus. And to Jesus' original audience, this word would have meant divine joy and perfect happiness. To Jesus' original audience, they would have heard, the poor in spirit will experience divine joy and perfect happiness. But here's the thing. Here's what's unique about this word. In the original cultural context, that word was never used to describe humans. Instead, it was used to describe the experience, the kind of joy experienced only by the gods or by those who are already dead and moved on to the next life. But here Jesus is transforming that meaning, the meaning of that word, and he's teaching the true way to experience a blessed life that blesses others is through living out his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus promised in John 10.10 that he came that we may have life and have it to the fullest. These beatitudes and Jesus' teaching that follow are his description of that full life. And so the answer to the question as to how Christ followers should live and respond in the world right now is plainly provided by Jesus. And this life that Jesus describes, it's blessed, but it's difficult. And on our own, we will fail, we will stumble. We cannot do it apart from Jesus. We must completely surrender to God and utterly depend on the Holy Spirit. So three questions for you 
to ask yourself, that we can ask ourselves every single day this question, have you accepted the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ? Now, once we accept salvation, we are saved. We don't need to keep being saved again and again, but we can take that salvation for granted. We can forget the price Jesus paid for us. So asking that question, I think, can be helpful. The next question, have you surrendered to God's authority? Or are you still thinking that, that your authority is better than his? Am I still thinking that my authority is more significant than God's? And finally, do you seek the help of the Holy Spirit each and every day? The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we, in him we have a counselor, a guide, a life coach who will lead us through these beatitudes, through living the life of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that we may have forgiveness of sins, that we may be reunited with you and the separation that, the, that sin created between us may be, may be closed. And God, I thank you for the resurrection of your son and that we get to share in that and experience newness of life. And I thank you, Lord, that we can live that life now to the fullest. As ambassadors of your son, Jesus Christ, we represent the kingdom of heaven. We bear the banner of King Jesus. Help us to do that now, especially now, today in this moment in 2020 and, and all the chaos that seems to be going on around us, Lord. It's an opportunity for us to be your light, to be your salt, and to point people towards you, towards your love, your grace, and your mercy. Oh, Lord, we pray this all, seek this all, desire this all, and ask for this all in your precious holy name. Amen.